Oh, St. Columba, who lived on the Iona, um, he was said to have, in his life, he apparently uh, converted one of the kings of the Picts to Christianity. So that might have happened, but then you can't date the stones. You don't know if the ones without the crosses were before the ones with the crosses or at the same time, or like you can't date them, so you can't prove anything, basically. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Um, so today we are getting better acquainted with Hayley. Uh, hello, Hayley. Hello. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm asking... All of the, I'm very, I think all of the kind of interviews are going to end up start with me laughing slightly nervously. It's quite funny. How did you meet me? Um, when I responded to a Gumtree advert for Apples for Everyone, the uh, the bands that you formed. That's right. I guess, and you, you, I spoke to you via email, but you'd been to the rehearsals of the band before. I think I actually. Oh yeah, met I you. had. Yeah, because I, I you weren't the first one I came yeah, to. Yeah, I was, it was a rare occasion that I was absent from a from an Apples rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. And then I sort of, I remember, I met, the well, first time I saw you, yeah, you were, you had dreadlocks and you had a, a fiddle and it was a very, very different Haley I think, then that I sort of, the, the image of you from then, I yeah. think, was very different from the Haley I know now. It's strange. Yeah. Um, so what, what, did, did you have any first impressions of me when you met me? Um, I was just very keen to please. I wanted to be part of the band and I was hoping I was good enough. And I was just really nervous. And you were the boss figure of the band, so I just wanted your approval. It's weird, yeah. yeah. Weird how that happened. I ended up being the boss of a democracy. Well, I guess they, democracies do have bosses, but it's more of a collective, wasn't it? Everybody's, yeah. Everybody made decisions, but I did the admin. <laughs> and you did the admin as well, to be fair. Yeah, I did. Um, and... Um, the other question is, what do you do? At the moment, I'm working as a trust fundraising officer for St Mungo's, which is a homelessness charity. Fantastic. I thought I'd start off the conversation by asking you a bit about Quakerism. So you're a Quaker? Yeah. Were you brought up a Quaker? Yeah, my mum was, is a Quaker. Um, she brought My dad isn't, um, but my mum brought me and my brothers up to be Quakers. Um, I'm not, having said that, I'm not a member of the Society of Friends, so I'm a Quaker with a, or a friend with a little F rather than a big F because I ah, haven't right. gone through the membership process. Okay. Um, so I class myself as, I'm an attender than, rather than a sort of proper Quaker because I, I'm not very good at going to meetings um, and haven't like got one meeting that is my sort of home meeting at the moment, but that's something I want to move towards at some point. And what, what's Quakerism mean um, from your point of view? Because a lot of people don't really know about it. It's Well, it's a denomination of Christianity, although I definitely identify more as a Quaker than a Christian. Um, at, but it's all about sort of... Um, in meetings, you um, are waiting for God to um, speak through you, and you sit in uh, the meeting, and the idea is that there's no minister. Everyone's equal, so everyone is a minister if they wish to be. So... You listen uh, for God, and if you feel moved to speak, you can speak and stand up. Um, and if you don't, you don't have to. Um, most people don't. I've been to meetings where no one speaks at all. I've been to meetings where lots of people speak, and sometimes it can be really moving, and sometimes it's just not. Um, and I really, but I really like that kind of um, that equality. It's all about being equal and that there's God in everyone. And I really like them because 
they're very non-judgmental. And when pe- when a lot of my friends are atheists, and a lot of their big problem with religion is that it's sort of very prescriptive and dogmatic, and Quakerism just isn't like that at all. Um, and I also like it because it's very uh, they're very socially involved. Like they, you know, they're involved in stopping the slave trade, and they were involved in environmental movements and peace movements, and they're just awesome, basically. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, as a as an agnostic, I've always thought, you know, Quakerism seems one of the better ones, although I might be biased, as I have a few Quaker friends. D- have you ever felt moved to speak, then, in Quaker no, worship? never. Um, no. So a couple of times nearly, maybe, but I never did, and in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't, because I wasn't properly moved. I'm, I... Yeah, and it's a bit of a pressure. Do you not think for some people, in, certainly in this culture, because when I was at my friend's wedding, there was a Quaker wedding. I know I didn't stand up and speak. Mm-hmm. I was incredibly worried that I was going to before I went, because I, as you know, speak all the time. <laughs> um, uh, and I think didn't necessarily think that all of the people who stood up necessarily felt moved I mean they just wanted to and it's a different situation well, because they just want to say how much they, they love the people yeah. and that's that's lovely in itself if you're but. not if you're not used to that kind of meeting then yeah that's a different situation isn't it yeah absolutely but I mean I would imagine that that when you, you did you go to meetings when you were a teenager um not so much I lapsed as a teenager then when I was at uni in Cambridge I I went very regularly um which was awesome so that was the last meeting that I was really sort of felt part of um, and then I moved back to London and I've I've lived in southwest London now east London I I've moved a, f- a few different lived in a few different places and I just haven't sort of like prioritized finding a meeting and attaching myself to one yet. no it's yeah. strange London's strange in terms of finding a community that you fit into mm-hmm. as well because it is so there is so much kind of uh, can, um, what do you call it commuting that's the word yeah yeah. So that kind of brings us into a into something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about because I think it's interesting to people, but also because it's not the average experience of someone in this in this country, you know. Um, but it, but also it's interesting to me in that, um, well, when I was a teenager, my English teacher suggested to me that I want might want to go to Oxford. And uh, I sort of thought about it and decided that I wasn't going to even try. I wasn't going to do the entrance exam um, because I had lots of uh, lots of beliefs which I still think have some sway, but but not necessarily on a personal level. But uh, about um, not wanting to go to a place where the elite, as I saw them, sort of operated, mm-hmm. that sort of built people up to to be the next kind of MPs and stuff. I wanted to, I guess I considered myself to be an outsider and I thought I'll carry on being an outsider. I don't want to go into that side of things. Um, having, But in hindsight, I often think maybe if I'd have been to Oxford, maybe if I'd have been to Cambridge, I would now know people and be able to do things that I can't can't currently do. Well, you know me. <laughs> yeah, I do know you. Yeah, you're my, you're my, you're my way in. You're my way in. That's right. You don't have to go to Oxford, kids. You just have to find friends who went, who went to Oxford or Cambridge. But, but, but you, you know, I, I went to a comprehensive school and then I went on to a quite a good university, Lancaster University. Is all right. Um, but you, you, you had a different kind of path through, mm-hmm. through school. So, 
I mean, you went. I know you went to a girls' school. Was yeah. it? Was it a? Was it? A, was it a, a comprehensive girls' school? No, it was a grammar school. A grammar school. But I actually failed the test to get in. I got a lower. I, I was below the boundary for the the test score, um, and then I got the letter saying, um, "Sorry, you didn't get in." And my mum was like, "Oh, don't worry, Haley, you wouldn't have liked it. You can go to the local comprehensive; it'll be great." And then I got a letter saying, "You're on the waiting list. A few people didn't want their places. Actually, we can give you a place." Right. My mum was like, "Actually, Haley, you might want to consider this." Although I've been telling you how good a comprehensive school is, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what? How did you? How did you find that 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 experience? I um I think it was a it was Sorry. tough but then like I think it's always tough being a teenager wherever you are and obviously that was my experience and I didn't have another experience so it's hard to compare yeah. but um I felt my school was a bit of a hot house in terms of academia and there wasn't really a sort of the pastoral care that you sort of might have needed at that time in your life I think it was a bit sort of I think yeah I think it was sort of a bit pressured and if you were because everyone, like everyone at that school, generally was pretty bright, and if you were just quite bright rather than very bright, you kind of got sidelined a bit. I think. Like, Interesting. Um, like we we all got at GCSE after GCSEs, everyone who got, I got all A stars and A's, and everyone who got all A stars and A's got um, a commendation certificate. But my best friend who got like. Um, seven A stars, two A's and one B didn't because she got one B and it's like that's you know she did amazingly well but that wasn't (laughs) recognised yeah I wouldn't have got a special sticker I I got yeah straight all A's and A stars and I got I got two C's two C's Uh and a B I wouldn't have been in but I did make amazing friends who are still my some of my best friends now so I did have a very I did have a really good time as well but I'm yeah. What about being in an all uh, all girl environment? What what was that sort of like in terms of? Well, it's hard for you to compare it, isn't it, mm. to other experiences? But well, I had two younger brothers, so they sort of helped keep my feet on the ground a bit <laughs> about what guys were like. Yeah. But I do remember I would, if I I went to Woodcroft Folk um, when I got a bit older, like thirteen, and um, that was really good because I met some like guys my age and I remember I'd go through a phase of like oh I've got counting how many male friends I had as compared to how many female friends I had and getting excited if I had more than five or whatever oh, nice. yeah <laughs> uh, but now it's like I don't I'm sort of more balanced now and I don't notice really no it's interesting isn't it people, well obviously I know what genders people are but like you don't sort of see it as a, a thing anymore so I think girl a girl's school can like yeah it does separate you a bit from men but um on the other hand at primary school I was very very shy and I think in a girls environment maybe I felt a bit safer and I sort of got a bit more confidence and was it I mean you didn't have any I guess it's, it's a strange thing because people always say girls school there'll be a lot of kind of infighting or whatever because it all like kind of bitchiness I guess well, but yeah. but I always think in a in a if there's no blokes there to fight over, then there's in a way less likely to have that sort of thing. I wonder if yeah, maybe my school experience might not have had more of that in it. Obviously, a lot of girls in my year had boyfriends, but that all happened outside school, yeah. obviously. So school um, was a kind of a, a place that you could study rather than get distracted. Yeah, and there was bitchiness, but my friends were really nice, so yeah. I didn't really have to worry about that so much. And did you did you have a kind of how would you describe your school experience? Was it a good one or? Yeah, all in all, yeah. All in all. And, like, it got me into Cambridge as well, so... Yeah. That, can't complain. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've, 
I've got some yeah some negative feelings about my school experience, but not because it was a comprehensive school. Um, so, getting into Cambridge was that easy, hard? Well, it was a weird day, like because um, I applied and then I got a letter saying we want to interview you, send us some essays that you've written by return. I'd send like two essays and I only had two in my room, so I just had to send those ones. And then I got the interview, um, and I, my poor mum, I was in a really bad mood that day, like she, she got up really early and was very, very kindly drove me all the way there, and I was just, just in such a foul mood. I don't know, I think I was probably nervous or whatever, but yeah. I, was, I feel a bit bad about that. Um, and then it was very much good cop, bad cop. Like there was the there was Mr. Mandelbrot, who was this guy who sort of squat and mean looking. And then there was Dr. Pardell, who would have been my director of studies, and he was really nice. And I got there, and they said, "Oh, we." S-, the first question was, uh, "We see you sent us um, an essay on uh, war poetry. Um, tell us what makes these poems poetic." And that was my starter. Wow. And that was hard. I can't remember what I said. I said I remember I said something that was actually okay in the end. Did you prepare for it like intensively, or did you just kind of go down on the fly? I didn't really. I mean, I read because I was going to study Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic. So that was like early medieval language literature and history of the British Isles. So I read. I read like Beowulf and a couple of things. But I knew. I think that it would be sort of it's sort of a more how you think rather than what you know because anyone can read a book and sort of churn out what they've learned but there wasn't really a huge amount of preparation I could do because like questions like that were just completely off the wall and did you you didn't you don't have to sort of sit an ex- entrance exam then not for my subject for things like maths you do oh right uh, but not for my subjects no well, maybe I should have maybe I should have done that kind of thing so it was a the partly the entrance exam thing put me off which is I weird think, no I, I had a couple of friends who went for English Oxford I think they might have had to do an exam well it's weird because I, I I mean I was always really good at exams it's mm-hmm. it's annoying um I, I'm, I'm kind of against the exam system but I'm in a weird position of being really good at exams yeah. I'm better at exams than I am at coursework if I sort of sit in a moment I can just write it okay. and it just happens but if I'm sort of worrying about it I'll overcompensate and overcompensate I'm a, a lot more dynamic I think in, okay. in exams yeah. but uh I knew people who were much more intelligent than me than me at university who exams were really hard for yeah. and it's because of the pressure and I think mm. it's really un- unfortunate so you did Medieval, what did you do? Med- medieval? Well, Anglo Saxon, Norse, and Celtic was right. the course title. But it was a really good course because for the first two years, you could choose any six papers out of a list. There was no, like, you didn't have to do a certain thing before you did a certain other thing. So I could just choose whatever I wanted. So I did early, ed- early medieval Irish language and literature, early ed- medieval Welsh, Gaelic history, Britonic history, um, paleography and codicology, which is studying the handwriting of manuscripts to see where they're from um, and when and codicology which is studying how books are put, manuscripts are put together um, and I did a dissertation on the Picts as well. Oh that's right yeah on the Pictish symbols. Yeah. What are the Pictish symbols all about actually for our listeners I think I know. <laughs> um, basically the Picts. Shall I pour you one yes, of these? Yes please thanks that's lovely. Um, the Picts were an ancient race in Scotland sort of not eastern Scotland mainly who um, we have very few primary sources of theirs that we understand like the Romans and like Bede and monks around the time wrote in their annals about um, battles they'd had with the Picts and sometimes the Picts won and sometimes the Anglo-Saxons won or whatever but the only primary sources 
sources that the picks made themselves are we have one king list um, which is just a list of names that's all we have of their language so that's not really that helpful um, and symbol stones like big standing stones all over Scotland um, and a few there are some like jewellery I think or little metal plaques lying around the place with uh, Pictish inscriptions as well um, and basically no one knows what they mean they are sort of some are geometrics symbols some are animals you only get a couple on one stone at a time so it's not an alphabet because you only get one or two um, sometimes they're around a Christian cross sometimes they're by themselves so that sort of shows some connection with Christianity um, and what's the th- I should really know this a guy the oh Saint Columba who lived on the, the Iona um, he was said to have in his life in the life of Saint Columba he apparently uh, converted one of the kings of the Picts to Christianity so um that might have happened, but then you can't date the stones. You don't know if the ones without the crosses were before the ones with the crosses or at the same time, or like you can't date them, so you can't prove anything, basically. So it's a kind of... <laughs> so you came to no conclusions in your dissertation? Basically, I, I looked at a couple of... I, I selected a couple of the more common symbols, looked at their distribution, and found out that they were stylistically different in the north to the south, which I thought was very interesting oh. and should be examined in more detail and then I did the second dissertation my third year looking going a bit more in depth into that it was amazingly interesting um, but basically my conclusion was no one knows much and we need to do more work <laughs> and if anybody wanted to fund you to do more in research on the pics I think you'd be quite interested in in listening to that yeah. one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah you, you there was a time that you were you were you were hoping to do a bit of that, but it's quite expensive to. Yeah, I got the pl- I got a place at UCL to do a master's in archaeology, but I didn't get any money. I yeah, but I didn't look hard enough. Now I I've worked as a fundraiser for a few years. I know how what you need to do in, in get in getting money. You can't just write to one place. You need to write to lots. So. Well, that's yeah. a that's a yeah. good tip for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one one time I did apply for an MA and got offered funding and then turned it down and. Uh, feel very guilty about this because I know so many people who've not been offered funding. But if it <laughs> for, wasn't for the right thing for you then? It might have been the right thing for me though. I think I was just really fed up with university well, fair and enough. I just couldn't face doing it straight away. Well maybe if you do it in a few years when you've saved up for it you'll appreciate it more and make yeah, more of it. Maybe, well if, you know, yeah. Oh, if, if, if there comes a time when I can, can legitimately uh, spend a, another year as a student I will de- def- definitely consider it but at the moment with funding it's it's going to be tricky for a while. What was Cambridge like? It was difficult but amazing. I went to, because the way Cambridge works, you apply to a college, it's got about 30 colleges, and that's where you live and eat, and the expectation is there that you socialise there as well. Mm. And you kind of, you don't really know much about the colleges, because basically your experience can vary massively depending on just who's there at the same time as you, like who you make friends with. Um, but I mean, the actual sort of culture of the college and its size has an effect on you as well. And I chose the smallest, oldest uh, college in Cambridge, Peterhouse, um, mm. which um, <laughs> maybe I chose it partly because I went to an all-girls school because it had a very high proportion of guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was part of my choice. But mainly I chose it because... Um, I, walk, I, I went to look around a few and I just got a nice vibe from it, so I went there. Um, but what was Cambridge like? It was... It was... When I first... Uh, in my first week, few weeks, I was just completely overwhelmed because 
everyone was very friendly and from the upper years so they they you know, I had my like someone who was assigned to look after me and stuff. But the first person's room I saw was in Old Court, in the main court of Peterhouse. And it had chandeliers and animal skins <laughs> on the floor. And I was like, whoa, what is this place? <laughs> um, and um, the work was very, very hard. And there was a hell of a lot of it. Um, and it was very, very pressured. Um, and But I met some... Uh, I made some really good friends and I had opportunities I don't think I would have had elsewhere. Uh, and and the, the quality of the teaching was top class, really. Like, ex- well, yeah, world experts, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the best in the world, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and just being in that, it's just such a beautiful place to be. And, like, in my third year, I got to live up an ancient staircase in the beautiful little courts. Like, you don't get that in many places. No, you, you certainly, it certainly doesn't sound like Lancaster University's halls of residence. But, um, yeah, um, it was also, it did get a bit, because it was such a small college, it got a bit claustrophobic sometimes but I I had my friends in college but I also had friends in other colleges so I could go out and see them as well some people I hung out with just socialized in the college and I would have found that too quite intense yeah yeah, yeah. I can see that and so I'm sure as someone who's been to Cambridge and has also um socialized since then with people who in sort of slightly alternative areas mm-hmm. like music or um, kind of eco- e- ecology or whatever um, you've probably heard over the years quite a lot of uh, criticisms of Cambridge do you think because I know I'm going to rehash them here what do you think there's any validity in in those in in, in criticisms you've heard labeled at, at Cambridge yeah definitely um, I think I saw one black person the whole time I was there mm. um, you know it definitely wasn't very representative of society um, and there were a, a handful of guys at my college who were from Eton, like more again more than the general yeah. society at yeah, large. Yeah. Um, and I got the impression that quite a few of my maybe it was also Peter House, but um, quite a few of my um, peers were quite well off um, yeah. or quite privileged. They'd been to private schools, a lot of them had. Um, so it's I know Oxbridge are making like efforts to be more diverse but it's it's not enough no and um yeah are there any other criticism well well, I I just think if I'd have gone what would have driven me crazy would have been yeah the affluence I guess and the uh, the the (laughs) I think if you've been to a comprehensive school and You've come from a relatively. I mean, I I came from a I came from a, a middle class background, but a, a socialised nearly all with working class people at school, and my my background wasn't strictly uh, middle class either because my dad was retired, and you know, okay, he was middle class in before that, but he was a filmmaker, and so there were kind of different kind of influences within. And he was, you know, quite a left left wing filmmaker type, and he'd been in the army, which, again, uh, being in the army, I think, is a little bit like the comprehensive school experience. You socialise with people from all classes, mm-hmm. and you get to judge them based on who they are. But I, I think that what happens is, if you if you have a certain amount of wealth, you can be a very nice person, mm-hmm. but you don't understand what it is like to not have anything. Yeah, and 
I, I look at the government now, or, or or any government that we've had, because they've all been to Oxford and Cambridge, and I just think, how can we be run by people who have no idea what it is yeah, like? Yeah, you're right. I'm from a privileged background. I mean, I'm middle class, so I'm yeah. from. I'm definitely a privileged person. Well, me too. Yeah. I mean, even you can be. I mean, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't like to say I, I've ever been when I grew up poor. You know, mm. um, not that I would be ashamed of that, but just it's not. It would be factually factually inaccurate. Um, but, but, I mean, I guess what I would have felt if I'd have been to to Oxford or Cambridge is that I would have just got really wound up by a lot of the people there. And yeah. I just got really angry a lot. And I think it's a bit nanny-ish as well. I think that would have pissed you off, the sort of having a bedder who does your washing up for you and having to eat in hall at a certain time. Well, I know, I hate the idea of that. Yeah, so I don't think that would have suited you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, that was um, a bit... We didn't have our own cooking facilities. I mean, we had a hob, um, but we didn't have an oven or anything. And you were, you had to, there was a rule you had to eat in the hall a certain number of times per turn term otherwise you get fined and also you had to pay for your meals as well and pay a fixed charge of a hundred pounds a month uh a hundred pounds a term for the privilege of being able to eat at all so well see that's yeah. a barrier though you well, know that's the sort of thing that's a barrier for people to come not just the money but having said that my accommodation was really cheap okay. um in my first ter- first year i paid 500 pounds a term um which is not much at all hmm. um and you don't have to pay for the accommodation all year round because um you only pay for the terms because you you don't stay there in the holidays but but that would actually be a big barrier if you, if you had nowhere else to stay if yeah. you had to move your stuff and move somewhere else during the summer that would be a nightmare so actually yeah and it's a strange thing i mean i, I i've come to sort of be not just through knowing you although i think that's been a quite a major influence knowing people who've been to cambridge because you know you no, through you I know a few other people as well who've mm-hmm. been to Cambridge yeah. and my, 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 my older sister went to Oxford to do social work but she don't, she did go to Oxford I, when I was a kid um, I, I went to her graduation and I saw all that stuff although you didn't did, you did graduate didn't you I didn't graduate but you didn't go back to get my fake masters that's right because if you go to Oxford or Cambridge seven years after you matriculate you can which is when you start you go you're invited back for ceremony to give where you get a master's, which means you can put MA after your name, which is ridiculous. Because you've um, done no extra work. You've done no extra work. I think some people defend it by saying you work so hard at Oxbridge that you deserve it. But the thing is, if you put Cambridge on your CV, everyone knows that anyway. It's so already like having a PhD practically in some ways, I think, compared yeah. to a lot of universities. On, or no, if you have no university on your CV, then someone who's been to Oxford having that on their CV is so much yeah. higher and I mean but I also I think um, you know knowing that Stuart Lee uh, went to, to I think it was I think it was Cambridge but it I might have been Oxford, Oxford one of the two yeah. and he came from a relatively working class mm-hmm. environment and that lots of people do get scholarship to Oxford and yeah. Cambridge as well That and that the people who are you know it's not someone's fault that they're born into a better situation yeah. than somebody else's and, and I made lots of good friends yeah. from, you know, people I met at Cambridge, many of whom were very much more privileged than me, and they're lovely people. Yeah, well, I've met some yeah. of them, and they seem very nice. Yeah. Uh, and, but, I mean, you know, I think I think my friend once said that it's easier to accept someone um, from a privileged background if they at least vote uh, kind of left-ish uh-huh. leaning, uh, that at least they're sort of trying to make the effort to... Uh, and I think most of your friends would come probably into that into that 
Yeah, but I like I've I've got a couple of friends who are right wing and they're lovely people. They just have different beliefs. No, I've met nice stories yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. You and know. I've met met left wing people who are wankers. So. Oh, I've met a lot <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So when you were at Cambridge, you took up fiddle. Yeah. Well, I started, I, it was my 18th birthday present. I started just before, but then I really got into it when I was at uni because I just really wanted to join the Kaylee band. And yeah. you play Kaylee? Yeah. Which, what's, what's Kaylee for those who don't It's a know? traditional Irish and Scottish music for dancing too. So for traditional Kaylee dances that you might have at weddings or Burns Night and yeah. stuff like that. No, I've been to a Kaylee once for a friend's wedding. Um, and you, you, there, there was so there were, in the band. There were, was it, how many people were in the Kaylee band? It was probably about fifty, but um, wow. it was it was sort of like a collective. Basically, I was a band president. We get booked for gigs, and then the band president would say, "Who wants to play this gig?" And then select a, a lineup of the right balance of instruments. And she, he or she would do it. So they'd try and be as fair as possible, so everyone could play gigs who wanted to and stuff. It was really good. I made lots. They're some of my best friends still, actually. Some of the Kaylee band people. It sounds like a really fun experience. Were it they all? Was, were yeah. they all people who also were in Oxford? Like, oh no, sorry, Cambridge. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, so it's like oh, a there university. There might have been one or two who weren't, but it was fast. Yeah, it was. It was through the university. Yeah. And um, did did you go um, on tours and stuff? Or? Yeah, we did in the summer. That was awesome. We went to the Hebrides because one of the fiddle players um, grew up there, so she organised it, and we went to the Channel Islands. Oh, wow. And we went to... Um, oh, we went to Italy. We went to Venice. That was oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that was more just for fun rather than... We did some playing, but it was more just for the fun of it, really. Um, and how, how was it playing, going to um, Scotland and sort of areas around there and playing their music to them as it was a group awesome. from Cambridge? It's quite an interesting idea. Uh, I think there was a bit of concern about that before we went, <laughs> but actually it was fine. We had some really good nights and people really enjoyed it. So yeah, music yeah. kind of crosses across these uh, issues, doesn't it? It doesn't really matter what class or what, what where you're from when when it, when the music's playing and you're dancing. So I mean, what was did you did you and you went to, did you go to Iona then or I went to Iona. I worked there for two months the summer before I started at uni. Oh, right. So I was actually on Iona when I got the letter saying I was gonna get into Cambridge oh, I got the place at Cambridge which is awesome wow um, yeah and Iona is a island off Scotland yeah and I know that you like it because you wrote a song about it once yeah <laughs> it, when we were away on a, a trip in where were we was it Norfolk wasn't yeah. it yeah Norfolk for the band we went the apples for everyone had a band camp where we went away that it was probably one of yeah one of the best experiences of my life yeah I me think. too yeah um yeah we all the whole of the band it was quite a big band a little bit uh, Not quite the whole at the time. No, Hayes and Miriam couldn't make it. To, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The um, and I think that was unfortunate because if you weren't there on band camp, it was hard to fit in. I think yeah. in some ways after that, it was it was a, we went away for was it seven days? It was yeah, for seven week, days, yeah. and we set up an old farmhouse into a recording studio and wrote music. You know, non-stop. It was mad. It was brilliant. You'd walk from one room and they'd be playing like I remember this in fact Iona is relevant to this because <laughs> I remember walking from a room where they were writing Iona which was a sort of folk ballad walking out and then walking into another room where they were playing heavy metal. <laughs> and uh I think in a way, you know, that was the problem when we came back. How did we how to integrate yeah. all of these different styles and ideas that we'd had? Um and 
I mean, even the the CD doesn't do it justice. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Although um, I love that CD because it just it just uh, takes me back there because um, yeah, it just reminds me of the sort of the peace of the the place we were in and yeah. just how lovely that week was. It yeah. was wicked and it was sunny, wasn't it? And everyone was yeah. always playing outside yeah. and writing songs. We only left once to, for fish and chips. That's right. It was good though when we went for fish and chips. That was a good day too. I enjoyed it when we made nettle soup on the first night as that's, well. That's right, on the first we night, tried to make nettle soup. you, me and Henry made nettle soup, but and it was mostly also, onion, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was mostly <laughs> onion, yeah, yeah. But I've actually looked it up, and apparently that is pretty much what lettuce soup always is, oh, mostly okay. onion. So I think we, <laughs> we did all right. It was good. Yeah, because yeah, me and Henry had stopped in a... We'd stopped at a farmer's market and bought a, um, a joint of beef as well. I think it was beef or something like that, or maybe lamb, um, for the first night. And uh, this, the last people who were all in the bus had all had a Burger King. Just, they? just before. They got it like 15 <laughs> minutes just before oh. they got there, and they were like, all oh, right. you're in love with that 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 place yeah. really so t- tell tell us a little bit about that um i basically went to Iona because my mum pushed me to go because she said it would be amazing and i was a bit resistant to it but i registered and applied and i got accepted to go what was what were you doing what was the um on iona they have it's called the iona community it's a it's a religious community um some people live there all year round but then every summer they get volunteers in and it's 
because it's kind of a place with religious Christian significance. It gets lots of people visiting it. It's a big tourist attraction. Oh, right. And people can go and pay to stay with the community for a week and stay in the abbey or the guest house and sort of um, do workshops. They have different themes each week and um, then there's church services at the abbey church to go to and it's... Um, it's a really special place and that lets lots of people um, appreciate that. And then, so everyone who goes to volunteers helps look after the guests, basically. Um, and I was very lucky. I applied to, to help in the shop, but I actually got um, my third choice job, but that was actually the best job, so I'm glad I got it. It was the sacristan's assistant, which was um, helping in the church. Um, so I basically lit the candles and made sure the books on the seats were arranged right but that was actually it's harder than it sounds because the candles were big oil candles on big um stands so you had to climb a ladder and pour oil into and there them would have been a lot of them in an old yeah, abbey yeah and not, there was a little chapel where you had to do the same and yeah it was it was actually quite a big job um and I work kind of split shifts so I'd work in the morning and then have a few hours off and work in the evening and you're you work like um six days a week as well um and you get in that it's free to go i mean you pay for your travel up there and you get free bed and food and then you get about 25 quid a week uh, spending money but you don't need any more than that really um and it's just amazing it's got beautiful stunning beaches um the church is just the most beautiful church i've ever seen um and it's just got a real pres- there's a real special sounds silly saying this it probably sounds silly on the podcast but it has a real like a uh, uh, presence about the place and it feels really special and that kind of after sort of lapsing as a Quaker for a few years as a teenager it kind of sort of brought me back to how important uh, religion was in my life I think well no I mean that's yeah. I don't worry about that on the podcast it, it seems that a lot of this topic of this podcast seems to have been um being faith strangely yeah. enough for, for me being an agnostic I guess there's a lot of people I know who believe in things and that's I guess one of the things I thought was interesting to do this podcast um just to explain the sound of the of the orange juice being poured we're actually sitting outside in in my back garden in the sun uh have experiencing a moment of 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 peace and quiet in the middle of the city although you'd be surprised how many um sirens get picked up in 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 this that we can't necessarily hear if we were sitting here but get picked up in the microphone it's funny Yeah, yeah it's funny um so you went and you experienced this sort of presence on Iona. So I, I, um, you didn't mind sort of that's six days a week. It's quite a hard it was tough, but it's it's intense. You're when you live as part of a community, it's sort of you're around everyone all the time, and it's it's part of that. And you need, I mean, they need the people to do the work because it's a lot. There's people doing housekeeping and cooking as well, and um, yeah, you're expected to work that hard, but it's it's fine. You don't mind it. it You'd think on a little island there wouldn't be much to do, but actually they keep you very busy. And in your leisure time, there's loads to do as well. So oh, that's working cool. that much was fine. It wasn't a problem. No, there's other people. You're young, young people there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Is it just primarily a sort of thing that people do in their gap year, or some people? But um, there's lots of uh, retired people as well, oh, right. uh, like in the shop. Um, generally, younger people in the kitchens. That's quite a physically tough task. Um, but my mum, my mum went for summer. Uh, worked in the office there, which he loved. And my brother Tom went. He worked in the kitchens, and he liked it so much he went back. Oh, cool! Um, yeah. yeah, I remember you saying. Yeah. Is there a, the criteria you have to be a Christian? No, um, Tom's atheist. <laughs> um, but um, he loved it. Yeah. 
No, you don't have to. I think when I was there, I remember there was one woman who found it, she was an atheist, and she was finding it very difficult, kind of the church services and the whole religious thing, she found that quite hard. Yeah. But I think that just depends on the individual. I know atheists yeah. who would feel that way. But then, if you're an atheist, you, you, you know in advance that it's a religious community you're going to, so you got to prepare yourself you should for go in with your eyes open yeah. to that, yeah, definitely. That happened before you went to Cambridge. Mm-hmm. You went to Cambridge. When you finished studying, I mean, actually, before, before we move on to that, why did you choose med, what, Celtic? Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-Saxon Celtic. That's one. Um, well, when I was at school, someone, was, I think, my mum and some teachers had said, maybe you should think about applying to Oxford or Cambridge. And I thought I, I, English was my favourite subject, so I thought I'll, I'll do English. So I arbitrarily chose Cambridge's website to look at. I looked at it, saw the list of courses, saw Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic, thought, ooh, what's that? Clicks on it, and there was this picture of a Viking helmet, and it said, welcome to the Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic pages. And I just thought, awesome, I'll do that instead. Because of the Viking helmet? Yeah, cool. it's that picture that got me. Um, and, like... Advertising my, works. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, I, I had that kind of theme running through my family because my dad's very interested in sort of medieval history and he does live action role playing which is a different thing because that's fantasy it's different but for reference that kind of to live action role play see the uh, podcast with zoe <laughs> i mean one thing they told me was i i got told in advance is whatever you do don't mention lord of the rings in your interview because <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't like that um it's it's history not fantasy um but basically i'd so i'd had that kind of I was aware of that kind of medieval Celtic part of history and it'd been in my family and I just, part of me always likes to be a bit different as well and not do what everyone else does. And that appealed as well because lots of people do English and I wanted to be a d- bit different. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I chose that and it was a bit of a risk because obviously I never studied medieval Irish before but um, it was awesome, yeah. Because, I mean, it's the languages as much as anything else, mm. isn't it, that course? And that's the sort of thing that I'm not very well gifted to languages. I'm, I am interested in Vikings and the Lord of the Rings, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not very good at languages. Um, and you held, like, the original documents, didn't you, and stuff? A couple of times, because Cambridge has got some amazing libraries. In each, several of the colleges have got fantastic libraries with early medieval manuscripts in them. And we went into Corpus Christi College's library, um, and actually handled um, some very old documents, and that's on the paleography course, um, so we could see the examples of the lettering firsthand. Um, and in the university library, you could request to get out some, not quite as old as that, because the special old ones are kept very carefully, mm. but you could get out some really old stuff and look at it carefully, and that was really, really awesome. And that stuff, that, I mean, you're looking basically at something that someone laid down on paper, mm. Hundreds of well, hundreds of years ago, yeah. yeah? Sometimes even a th- over a thousand. Over a thousand. Ago. So, and some of the best, because um, I loved the medieval Irish language course. Some of the best, like we translated these beautiful little poems, which was something I really enjoyed. And some of these were just scribbled in the margins of ancient manuscripts. Wow. Like there's one about how nice it is to be sitting outside in the springtime writing, and the, I can hear the birds singing. And it's just described, he's just written it on the side of a manuscript, and that's just really lovely, I think. Wow. That's a bit, when it all went a bit meta then, a bird was actually singing yeah. as he said <laughs> that's it. that's what I thought of it. It'll sound, it'll sound like I'm sort of putting on uh, a post-production effect. Um, so you went and you, you studied at, um, at Cambridge, and you finished at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do then? 
I decided to be a street fundraiser, <laughs> which isn't the normal route. All my friends are being sensible and doing grad schemes, and a lot of them are now lawyers. Lawyers and, and doctors. Earning and, loads of money yeah. and doing very high-powered things. But I, part of me actually, because I've been in such a privileged environment for so long, I wanted to do something very different to that, sort of to give, because I knew I'd been a bit in a bubble and I wanted to be out of the bubble and sort of do something a bit more sort of real yeah um and one of my friends from Kaylee band he'd had to drop out of um uni for a year due to personal issues and he'd gone off to dublin and was a street fundraiser for a year and me and some friends went to visit him and he t- told me about how interesting and he was finding it and that's when i got the idea i thought oh that sounds cool i'd really like to do that um so i graduated and yeah uh, got a job with greenpeace and stuck at it for a year, which is longer than most people manage it. And a char- charity fundraiser is the, the people that get a bad rap, and maybe justifiably, who knows, depends on the organisation, I, I suspect, for standing in the street and uh, trying to get you to give you the, give them money with their clipboards. Yeah, monthly donations normally, yeah. 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 yeah I hope I was never rude to you in the past, <laughs> in, a, in a separate moment. People aren't very nice to you, I guess, in that job. No, no, they're not. Um, it's um, it is hard. Yeah, it's hard. And you have targets. Um, my target at Greenpeace was three sign-ups a day, um, which was generally possible, but not always. And you had to work very. You'd be trying to stop people all day for like six or seven hours, what trying to do that. And um, the the most I mean some people would shout at you or whatever that was just funny um, the worst the people who blank you that that annoyed me because that's just rude I'd rather have a, if people say no thanks that's that's all right you know um, but you learn to let anything sort of negative wash over you generally um, but it was um, yeah very very tough and you yeah. were, did you, you didn't get very well paid for it I got paid okay. Um, it's one of the better paid jobs for stu- like students, I think. If you want a casual job, it's yeah. one of the better paid ones. But I like I um, didn't get any sick pay or anything like that, and that it was basically a casual job contract. And I just moved out into a new place, and it was slightly I, I didn't realise quite when when you're not used to the sort of budgeting properly because I never really did it at Cambridge, and I got well, into they they did all your stuff for you, didn't they? At yeah. Cambridge? Um, <laughs> And sort of I was over um, optimistic about how far my money could go and then I moved into this flat that was slightly above that so I was stressed out quite a lot of the time for money. Um, but the pay, it was okay. Um, but um, I think it's okay for like a summer if you're a student. I think trying to live off it long term is in London is very difficult. Yeah, London's a hard place to live regardless. What are your thoughts about the ethics of stopping people on the street and asking them for money do you think that it's a valid or valuable resource for charities or what do you think i think it definitely is um i think it depends on um i think the ethics of the fundraiser is important because i would never like um emotionally blackmail people or try and push them into it and as a result i had quite good retention rates because I might get fewer people in the day, but then they stick around for longer because I only got people on the, on the whole who actually wanted to do it because some people I knew would, um, you know, push people a bit more to get higher targets and stuff. And then they'd sign um, up and then they'd have to cancel. Yeah, and then they just cancel and that's just pointless. Mm. And um, 
I think there are there are there are strict codes of practice you're meant to follow, like not following someone down the street more than three steps. I think is a thing. Um, Sounds reasonable. And when you, and different town centres have different rules about where you can stand, which is fair enough, I think. Um, and does it work? Um, I think it does generally. It depends if that is followed or not. But then you can complain about people. It's um, hard to sort of. I think it's hard to balance. I mean, I, I, there seems to. I, my my mum worked in charities some some of the time I was growing up. So I'm sort of I'm, I am and you know I'm sympathetic to charities in some ways. Depends on the charity. I'm very very fussy about mm. charities, but I think that it's really hard to balance how many people you might alienate from taking the kind of approach where you kind of get in their face, but against the amount of people that you will get to sign up because. At the end of the day, a charity can't be a charity unless it makes any mm. money. So you need to get those people to sign up. Yeah. And if you're getting more people signing up through that way, then it does seem to be a logical yeah. way to go. But then if you alienate more people, then, I don't know, it's hard to... I don't think balance. it has to... I think if someone stops, tries to stop you in the street and they're just friendly and say, do you want to talk to me about this? And you're like, either you do or you say, sorry, no. And I don't think that's that necessarily has to alienate anyone. Okay. I think it's a question of town centres being sensible and not having overkill as in having a team a different charity out there every day so mm. people working here get sick of it do you get permission from the town centre then to do it? yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it was one person's job to get that permission for all the different teams so if people get frustrated that there are too many charity fundraisers on their streets the people that they should be annoyed with is the council for yeah. allowing that to happen then yeah yeah, I think so don't quote me on that no <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's my that's my opinion rather than um, rather than Haley's. but um I don't think I think it's a really valuable because I know um, I know lots of charities do really really well out of it. It's a really important source of income. Yeah. Um, and one of the arguments that annoys me most against charity fundraisers is that oh they get paid. Well, it's like everyone who works for charity gets paid. Yeah, that's right. And it's such a hard job. You try doing that for a day. Yeah. You can't do that every day without being paid. It's, well, no. If you're, um, you're devoting something to you, something full time. Yeah. Or even part time, you have to. You have. I mean, you can't live in this society without without getting paid for things. Yeah. Um. The, there's there's a lot lot asked of people to volunteer, and sometimes it's impossible to volunteer the amount of that's needed for a charity yeah. for charity work. Definitely. Yeah. We've gone from your sort of. Your through line, really, and then I, I guess around about that time you met me, and you, you would mm. joined Apples around about that time, and then since then you've gone into sort of uh, copy editing and, and cha- for charities, haven't you? Sort of. Yeah, I did a cop- I did a sort of job writing tenders for an event management company. Yeah. Then I worked for a private music college. That's right. Um, writing tenders and fundraising applications. And I was maybe done it in November, and I worked for a homelessness charity writing fundraising applications. And it's, I mean, it's. It must be quite rewarding to do write copy for something that you believe in. Mm. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, I've only been at St Margot's two months, so yeah, it takes a while. I haven't actually made any money yet, but right, <laughs> it takes okay. Time. <laughs> the thing that I'm asking people around about this point in an interview is, do they have anything that they want to plug? Which has been an interesting one because people have found things that I wasn't really expecting. They've interpreted this question in an interesting way. But, uh, yeah, do you have anything that you would like um, to plug? I'm part of this sort of arts collective called Autumn Shift. Early last year, some of my friends decided they wanted to get into festivals for free. They decided to choose the route that's probably the most effort <laughs> to get this outcome. Um, can't think of anything that would be more effort, really, but it's awesome. They decided to make 
design and build their own marquee that would be a, a venue at festivals. They chose the theme of autumn for it and we've, we ran two festivals last summer and we had artists, like live art happening and music and comedy and spoken word and it was awesome. It went really, really well. You took it. Where did you take the tent to? The, you, you um, we went to um, Mayfly, which was on at Friends Farm, yeah. um, a private festival. I was there for that. Yeah, and um, Festabelli, which is a small one-day festival in the New Forest, which is really wonderful. That was our first commercial festival. Other times of the year we run monthly or... Well, every two months, really, sort of fundraising nights, which raise money for the tent and uh, sort of help to build our community of um, artists and people who come along to our things yeah. and spread the word, basically. And they're really lovely. Loads, loads of effort goes into sort of design and decor, and I'm involved with making stuff and everything, and it's it's just amazing. And you can find them on Facebook, can't you? Autumnshift. Autumnshift.co.uk, and we're doing yeah, we're doing. An, a few events running up to the summer and then we're doing three festivals this summer um, Standon Calling, Festabelli and Fieldview and I'm going to Standon and I'm very excited Wow! and so look us up and it's awesome yes. Definitely and if you're in London get get yourself along to one of the nights, they're pretty cheap I think aren't they? Yeah it's only entry. like three to five quid Three to five quid which isn't bad for London and they've got lots and lots of exciting things oh, going on we've got a on. cinema now as well. Oh that's right yeah. and they've got live artists doing art sometimes And you can buy uh, our poetry compilations and our art and stuff and yeah, it's Ex- really cool. Exciting things, and uh, the, yeah, the, the the reactionaries who is uh, oh yeah, I was me and them as well. yeah, <laughs> me and me and Haley are in the reactionaries. We're playing the next one, aren't we? Yeah. Which and you can find the reactionaries on Facebook and on SoundCloud if you look. Just Google us, SoundCloud uh, reactionaries, the reactionaries, and you'll find it. I should think, but it's SoundCloud.com slash the react the reactionaries and you can find us on myspace and that's forward slash the reactionary band but i'm not so keen on that url so i'm quite happy that we're on soundcloud yeah, now me too. <laughs> and yeah if you if, if people want to hear the band apples for everyone that me and Haley used to be in and um that exists as a kind of time capsule for people to see and hear rather what we what we did i and still that's... miss apples for everyone mm. i really do i miss it t- i miss it too i'm I, I miss seeing the people regularly. Yeah, yeah. I don't miss elements of the musical kind of experience or the admin experience. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think everybody in the band uh, make good music and people should definitely check out anything that they do in the future, like the reactionaries. Yeah. And yeah, you can find that on myspace.com forward slash apples for everyone. Do you have anything else you want to plug while you're while you, while you um. plugging things? No. No? Okay. <laughs> so with that, um, we will say, with you know, an hour is up, and we will say goodbye. So do you want to say goodbye to the listeners? Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye. This conversation was recorded quite a long time ago, and a little bit after that, I received this message from Hayley on Facebook. Hello. Just thought I'd let you know the following because it might interest you. I went to a Quaker meeting for the first time in a long time today and I gave ministry for the first time in my life. Other ministry during the meeting turned out to follow along the theme of truth, what it is, what it means and why and if it's important. And I was moved to speak because I was reminded of what you said about why you started GBA, about wanting to find a truth in every conversation. I told the meeting about your project and said that I wasn't exactly sure what you had meant by this. 
But having listened to your conversation with Elspeth, I felt that a truth did come out of it, and that it was a joyful and positive thing. I couldn't put it into better words than that. Afterwards, some people thanked me for my ministry, which was nice, especially as it was my first time ever at Westminster meeting. I'm glad I spoke. Just thought I'd share that with you, as it was quite a significant event for me in terms of my faith, and it was inspired by you. Hayley. Find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. Find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.